You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Ivan, great to see you again today. Hey, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy that we're doing some of these not solo episodes, but partnered episodes, just the two of us. So today we've got some cool stuff that we're going to talk about. We we were looking back at some of the old episodes that we've done, and I know you wanted today to talk about prioritization, which we have landed on the consolidator operating framework that we have on our website. And I'll be frank with you, I'm, I'm a little confused because I know episode maybe five or so, we talked about strategic filter. And if you can just start off by kicking off and all of our listeners probably know the difference, but if you can tell me the difference between strategic filter and prioritization, and then we can dive into prioritization. How's that sound? Sure. I also wanted to start with saying that I am recording from Ukraine and uh, very excited to have you here next week. Maybe we'll do sort of a bonus episode recorded live from the same location. <laughs> from the streets, from the streets of Ukraine. Of Kiev specifically. Yes. <laughs> It'll be cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Not for the flight. I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to the flight, but I've done worse things. Yeah. So yeah, let's dive into it. I, I love this topic. So if you'll think about what the strategic filter does and what prioritization does, once you, and, it, and it's tied to the quarterly planning as well, because what essentially we do with a quarterly plan, we create, well, the plans for the quarter. And then what we want to do is to use our value streams. Essentially, at every level of organization, you have certain stream which delivers and hopefully captures value after it. And hopefully value comes out at the end. So when we talked about the strategic filter, strategic filter is something that helps you to decide what you do and more importantly, what you don't do. Because so often there's so many things that you want to tackle. You see these lists of, you know, we have 65 rocks between five people and it's like just undoable. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of quarter, you're like, well, we took too much. So it's, uh, you know, it's okay not to complete them. So you want to be precise. You want to be sort of not more than five, six big ones and then cascade them through OKRs or objective key results like we talked before. But then comes a dilemma. You have 12 or, you know, six or five rocks or quarterly plans. Which one do you do first? Can you do all six at a time? How do you decide? So I think that that's where prioritization kicks in. And you need to have a very specific way of putting them in order. And there is a methodology that we implemented to do so. Okay. So if I'm hearing you right, it's the strategic filter comes in place. It filters out the things that you're planning to do. And then the prioritization is going to come into play to figure out the order of the things that actually made it through the filter. Yeah. And the specific one that we use, I mean, there's tons of ways of prioritizing your tasks, you know from whichever you like more <laughs> or whichever department it is in to uh, becoming more strategic about it and saying what is best for our strategy to do first. And the specific method that we use is called weighted shortest job first. We stole it from the large scale transformation methodology, which is called SAFE, so Scaled Agile Framework. And uh, you can find it there. You can find it on our website because we kind of gave it a little bit of a consolidated color. But essentially what you want to do, you want to understand what is the cost of delay, what it would cost us if we don't do this thing first. That's really what it boils down to, but there is a way to kind of be scientific about it. Yeah. And I, I actually, I pulled it up on the framework here and I was looking at that equation, which is kind of cool. It's nice when you can put numbers behind everything. So 
the way to shortest job first, what I'm saying here is equals the cost of delay divided by the job duration. Yep. So essentially what you want to do is calculate the cost of delay and we can break down that, how you do that. And then you also estimate the duration. And of course, you don't know how long it took you to do the task before you did the task. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully you have teams that have done these things before can estimate at least at what we call a t-shirt size in the development. It's sort of small, medium, large, extra large. And just to say, okay, these are the size. Or you can use something like a one out of 10. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about this is that you have a team of leaders sitting around and you know there's five, six people that can decide that it's going to take us equal eight out of 10. So it's a long task or it's two and it's very easy. And then everybody can contribute and decide together because some people may know more about this. Some people may know less. But then if you did make a mistake as a group, you move on to the next item. And then once you value that one and say, okay, well, in this one is five. Then you look back to the first one and say, well, if the first one was two and this one is five, does that still play well together? And you're like, no, actually, the other one is a little bigger than two if we say this one is five. So you mm-hmm. kind of iterate on this, but it's it's sort of a rough estimation, but you convert subjectivity to more objectivity. Okay. It's kind of like women's gene sizes, right? The numbers don't actually mean anything. They're all just relative to one another. Yeah, I bet that's what they were thinking when they, <laughs> they were thinking yeah. of way to shortest job first when putting those yeah. things in place. Yeah, yeah. The, the most weighted person with the shortest job. Oh, stop, <laughs> stop them, stop them now. <laughs> um, for anyone listening, that was Ivan, not me. So, what I think though is a lot of people will look at prioritization and they'll say, and I've, I'll say this too a lot of times, like, I'm, I can multitask, like, sure, yeah, we have a big project going on, but I've got time to, to knock out these small little things here on the side and, oh, sure, I can write a blog post in the afternoon, but, you know, and, and I can hop away from this big project that we're working on. How does that fall into the, the overall goal of prioritization? Yeah, so a lot of people, well, first of all, it's now, I think, has been scientifically proven that multitasking doesn't work. It just doesn't. Everybody who says that they are multitasking, they probably just don't understand that they can't. And we have this guy on our team. His name is Sergey. Uh, Sergey, that's a shout out to you, uh, mm-hmm. who is asking a very simple question. When he opens our Jira or whichever sort of system you use, a lot of developers in SmartFlow, we use, you know, Sergey build our system there and we use Kanban board. And then developers love putting like three items and put it in progress and say, I have these three things I'm working on. He says, okay, simultaneously. And he's like, yeah. I said, well, which one of you are coding right now? There's one out of three. And he's like, well, I'm doing the second one. And then essentially, so you're not doing the first and the third one right now. So don't Mm -hmm. put them in progress because you can't work simultaneously on two tasks. You you really are doing one task. You have to be very disciplined about it. And when I went through training at the Flow Research Collective, they were talking about extreme unitasking. And that means turn off everything, have one tab open on your computer, have everything turned off, all the messengers. That means sort of extreme unitasking. And you sit down, you take the task, complete the task, and then take the next task. That's sort of if you're limiting your work in progress. And we're going to talk more about it, about the flow. Some systems are capable of putting through or have the throughput of two items at a time. And usually it's allowed because you have two people working on that unit. Then you maybe can have two tasks in progress, but not by one person. So it's sort of a myth about the multitasking. You really need to sort of take one, complete it according to definition of done. And when it's done, take the next one. 
So as it relates to, let's take a portion of the M&A process for consolidation. Uh, if you were to look at the legal due diligence side of things, when you're looking at doing that, I mean, your lawyer, if you have one lawyer that's doing your legal due diligence, they aren't working on six of them at the same time. They're working on one and, and maybe they have to pause one while they're waiting for responses or, or next steps with the client. But is that something that you would push external people to be able to sort of prioritize their work or to communicate to you in the same way? So if you are outsourcing your legal due diligence or your financial due diligence or something to that effect, would you talk to them about, hey, tell me which one you're actually pushing buttons on or you're actually writing the contracts on or you're waiting for the signatures on? Is that a way to sort of manage the external clients as well? So more like vendors, not the clients. Vendors, and, yeah. And, it, and it's funny because we have a lawyer who works exactly like that. Love him to death, but he cannot handle three things simultaneously. Then it just freezes all three. And it's a very good example of not being able to multitask. So I actually use this rule of throughput. And I tell everybody on our team, they're like, oh, our you know, uh, contract with that company is not ready. And we have this acquisition that we've done and we need to finish asset purchase agreement and we need the shareholders agreement to be completed. And I, you bumped into this too, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happens, I usually say our lawyer has a whip limit of one item at a time. He can do two. And if you throw two, he freezes. <laughs> so we need to do in the organizations where you have external vendor that is not belonging to the organization, trying to explain weighted shooter's job first to a lawyer at your expense might be expensive. <laughs> so what you want to do is to say, okay, who's responsible on our team for legal due diligence, for example, on the clinics. And then we say, all right, well, we have in the pipeline that business development brought in number of clinics. There's like four, five of them. And then we need to decide what it would cost us not to do certain work. And then this is where I would like to dive into how do you determine cost of delay? Because we talked about the job duration. You kind of vote on that and, yeah. and you decide what that is. The cost of delay is sort of a combination of other items because it's not like, you know, you can't just automatically have label on every task. So if we're talking in that context that you gave an example on clinics, there's three things that usually are taken into the account when you're thinking about cost of delay. Cost of delay is usually split into three things that you can also vote on with a whole leadership team. Number one is user business value. So if we, out of these six deals, what is the value to our organization? And you can basically measure it by revenue if you need to hit certain target on revenue or if you need to hit certain target on EBITDA. You can select which one. And then out of six, it'll be pretty simple. You're looking at one number and you'll put them in order and say, okay, one, three, you know, these are the numbers. And again, I like to associate them back with a one out of 10. Because you're not going on EBITDA because you want to then look at on what revenue that happens. You just you just throw the numbers at them and say, this one is business value three. This one is business value nine. This one is six. And then again, you're comparing them to each other and say, okay, do we kind of t-shirt size them that way? Mm -hmm. The second thing that is a component of the cost of delay is the time criticality. How critical it is for us to assess this clinic versus that clinic. For example, there is six clinics in the pipeline, and then business development finds out that they want to sell clinic within three months. They're not as much concerned in the culture where they're selling it. The guy is tired, burned out, COVID. 
and then he just wants to sell it. So if you don't close this clinic in three months, he'll sell it to someone else. Mm-hmm. There's a time criticality. Again, you take that into equation and you add that to business value. So now you have your subjective converted to objective and business value. Then you also vote as the team and saying time criticality on certain deals. So that's component number two. And then the third component of cost of delay is risk reduction or opportunity enablement. It's one of the two. Okay. So I'll give you an example of that. Yeah. So you have six clinics in the pipeline. We assess them again for business value, time criticality, and now we're looking at risk reduction. For example, our debt to equity ratio is creeping up. And then we're close or EBITDA to uh, debt ratio rate. If you are taking money from the bank to acquire the practices, and then bank is not going to give you more debt if you're, if you're an early consolidator, if your ratio is over five. Uh, they start using four, maybe five, maybe up to six, not more than seven. Like when you're a large organization, maybe they'll allow you to go up to seven. So you need to increase your EBITDA. And as a consolidator, you may look at this and say, okay, well, this is more time critical clinic. But the risk reduction is the greatest. We have a risk of not getting money from the bank. And if our EBITDA is not going to be much bigger right now, yes, we have five clinics, but one of them is very large hospital that we didn't want to buy because operations were not ready. But then if we buy this clinic for $20 million, we'll have this huge EBITDA that will open up the window of debt. So you make the third sort of one out of 10 assessment of each opportunity. So then you have the entire cost of delay from three numbers. You take your business value, you add the time criticality, and you add the risk reduction. And that's where you arrive to cost of delay, and you divide it by the job duration, which we determined at the beginning. It's confusing to hear it on the sort of podcast, but I I really recommend to listeners to go to our vetintegrations.com to the consolidated operating framework and click on the prioritization. So it, it describes the methodology there. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I actually have that pulled up and I'm looking at it and, and following along as you're speaking, because it is it is helpful to be able to see it. So that's the weighted portion of it, which is makes a lot more sense when you're looking at that. And one thing as you were talking, I, I was curious, these things are not happening. These decisions are not happening siloed from one another. Is that right? So you're you're comparing the opportunity or the user business value of one deal or one opportunity to a different one, as opposed to just ranking them independently. Is that correct? That's the key. Yeah, because what exactly. And that's where the prioritization happens, right? Because you're arriving to an objective number. Now it's not Bob said this, Nancy said that. Altogether, we contributed to this decision. Because what also happens is if you just ask five people, which one is the priority for you, marketing may have one priority. Business development will have another priority. Operations will have a third priority because maybe they're you know downstream, they're clogged and they can't accept more clinics. So every department will have a different opinion on this if it's so subjective. But when you take all the leaders in the room and you do this exercise, by the way, you can go through like 65 items on the list and rank them that way in two hours and have the exact order in which you should execute on tasks, acquisitions, whatever you're doing in business. It's a phenomenal methodology that was originally used to put the backlog items in the software development. And you always have tons of ideas from customers. You always have a lot of ideas from internal stakeholders like marketing or your support wants to do this integration and asking the dev team. And dev team is really needs to be really focused on what they develop and what they not develop. So after all the requests were put in, 
Then they're assessed with this methodology and you can actually put the entire formula into the Excel. And then as you sort it out, the Excel will kind of sort them out in the order for you. And then after two hours, you arrive to a very solid strategy of how to execute on this within this quarter. I think that's wonderful. So the other thing, you know, two things that we, we have hit on there, or that we always hit on when we're talking about these topics is what the risk is of not doing this. I think just from, from listening to you and, and my knowledge, I think one of the risks is overloading your systems. So on the BD side, the business development side, your risk is not buying the clinic that needs to be bought right then or pushing through a clinic that operations isn't ready for because you haven't put together the cost of delay or any of those sort of things. What other potential risks would happen, not just within consolidation, but by not taking advantage of the overall system of way to shortage job first and prioritization as a whole? Well, it's a very typical problem in any organization. The other thing that we talked about in the past, the OKR, how do you size the tasks? Because if you have a task of like starting the e-commerce platform, and then next to that item, you will have something like create an SOP of how do you buy a computer for a new employee? Those are vastly different size of projects. One is a major initiative for probably entire quarter with like two departments, development and marketing. And then another one, it's, it's someone's task. Like it's not a rock. It's not the quarterly plan. It's just a small item. So you really need to be careful how do you size them because you can take through this prioritization sequence only items that are equal in value, like how big they are on the level of the organization. So that's why if you scroll back to the left on the consolidated operating framework, you will see that there is, so it starts with the objectives given by the board, then it's initiatives by executive team, they're broken down into the rocks, the regional managers have milestones, and then the projects. And then you always want to make sure when you're prioritizing their different sides. So a lot of companies struggle with having 65 things to do, and it's basically half of it is someone's to-do list. It's not a major plan. So you really need to kind of sift through those and make sure that you're having the right items. So that's that's another thing that a lot of companies do. Yeah. As I look at the our framework again, it's interesting. Prioritization is the only thing on the whole board here that, or one of two things that that has the multiple boxes of the same thing. So prioritization falls in every single level of the organization. It's important for everyone to do. And I I think the other thing that's important is the impact that it has on reducing burnout. Yeah. There's a new article that you just wrote. So very well done. And on the cover of, of DVM360, discussing some of the work that VIS and you've been doing around burnout prevention. But prioritization really is a a major burnout prevention tool because you should be able to have actionable numbers and metrics and ideas behind every single step that's going through the business. Obviously, a lot of these things are, are discussing at the corporate level or the executive level of what's going on or the regional level, but maybe not as much within the practice. How do you think that corporate teams or regional teams could describe prioritization to the clinic with a way to let them know, this is why we're doing this. This is how we got to these decisions. And our goal is to improve the business as well as preventing burnout. So it's a great topic that you touched on because usually what happens in the organizations that then use prioritization and finish their tasks. Because one thing is prioritize, then you need to execute on them. 
Because you can prioritize and say, okay, these five items I'm going to do in sequence one, two, three, four, five, and then you kick all five off, and then you're again doing everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the important thing here is there's two factors. One is proper change management. So when you're accepting the task to be even not executed, just when you talked about it and said, we're going to start the e-commerce platform, you don't start it in some marketing or dev department until it's half done and then just push it on the clinics. You need to have that weekly rhythm with the entire company where you kick off the initiatives like that. And then everybody knows that this is coming. And then you take it into different phases of development, and then you develop sort of, you explore the item, you create the requirements, then you kick it off again and show in everything that you're doing. And then after it's completed, you deploy it to the clinics. That's the proper sequence. When you don't do that, the classic problem between upstream and downstream conflict happens because upstream is usually business development and the integrations. And then sometimes they include them into sort of upstream, sometimes not. And then everything downstream is operations. And when those two departments are not connected, people in the upstream, in a classic sort of agility framework, are things that can rapidly change and they can change the priorities. They can fall out of the funnel. There are things that visionary and maybe the customers can change on the go. And in development world, it's something that, you know, visionary is coming out with a hundred features. And then before it hits developers, it needs to go through validation of the hypothesis, the cost of delay for doing this, and you make a solid decision to execute on this. But if you don't do that, every idea that comes upstream is just thrown downstream. And then after they started working on it, it discontinues because upstream decided to stop this initiative because it's not of value anymore. This is the major conflict in any large organization when there are two sort of concepts of upstream and downstream. In software development world, it was me with SmartFlow. I had zillion ideas per day, and then half of the zillion would be dropped in our design, and then design would drop it on developers. They would start coding, and then I come back next week from another conference or implementation. I'm like, and here's a new idea. And then they're like, well, we're working on this. I'm like, no, forget about that. Here's a new idea. So upstream should be very flexible. Downstream should not be flexible. They should take things into execution and complete. So how that all goes back to burnout is that usually in organizations when there is no good prioritization methodology, downstream or people that are actually doing the work think that their executive team has no idea what they're doing and changing their mind three times a day. And that's usually what you see on the burnout side is because people are just getting tired of them and then they just they just leave. Definitely. Well, I appreciate that we went through this because it is something that's that's valuable. It's something that... I think is a nice exercise and a nice way for people to be able to plug something in and be able to to just listen to this, read some of the some information about it and really implement it. It doesn't require you to change your entire your entire organization. It's something though that you can really do and take control over some of the decision making that's going on in prioritization within the business. So usually when we have a guest, I get to ask them for a book and a guest recommendation. But this time, I'm just a couple days away from a 12 to 15 hour flight. So you get 15 hours of my brain diving into a book, unless I put on my eye mask and fall asleep. But what should I read while First I'm on the all, flight? You shouldn't watch then movies. So that's number one. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you know, maybe a little movie just during the during the meal service, if they're even doing that for the flight. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think that, well, we talked about traction. I think that's that's a good 
part sort of if you haven't read that book would be very good for this but i would refer because this needs to be a little visual like if we we're talking about this Mm -hmm. then I think that going on to betintegrations.com onto the framework and clicking on the prioritization, then you will get a visual how to build out this system. We can also teach you that too. So if, uh, if there's any people that are interested in learning how to do that, they can contact us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on the book, so Ryan, you have how many hours you said? 14? I think it's like 12 to 15, somewhere in there. There's, okay, a, lot, so there's a lot of time zones. I know on the way back, I get home before I leave. <laughs> So the excellent book, if you haven't read it, is The Goal by Elia Goldred. And then there is a second book that is sort of, a, it's not a sequel, but it's similar to The Goal, which I'm reading right now. It's called The Phoenix Project. It's actually very similar to that. And they refer a lot to The Goal, but now they're talking about how the operations and IT and dev weren't getting together. And it's a sort of written in a sort of a fiction kind of style. It's not very sort of businessy book. Mm -hmm. So it will put your right to sleep, which it did with me on a flight here. So well, the Phoenix uh, Project and the goal. All right. So you have you have a few days, you have a week while I'm there as well to finish that book so that I can take it from you and, and fly home with it. So you better it's an, down. it's an audible. So you can you oh, can it's an audible, even better. I'll I'll be able to listen to it. Well this was great, Ivan. Always enjoy when we get to do our one-on-one -on -one episodes together. Really excited to see you and the whole team very soon. And then one of the next episodes that are, you know, we might slot slot a guest in there, but one of the episodes that are everyone's going to be able to listen to is one live from Kiev. And uh, looking forward to it very much. Uh, me too. So have a safe flight and hope to see you Monday in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> see you guys. Cheers. Be sure to join us Tuesday, August 17th for a very special webinar featuring our own Dr. Ivan Zak, Dr. Karen Feldstead, and Dr. Beth Davidow discussing piece of the pie, incentivizing veterinarians through partnership. If you want to learn more information about the webinar, go to vetintegrations.com slash events. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.